Well, it is wonderful to be in the pulpit again this morning uh, to share from God's Word with you our passage for consideration. I'm sure many of you are grateful to be finished with 1 Peter. Uh, and uh, our passage for consideration is going to be Psalm 84. I believe the pastors are going to do a series of one-offs in this month uh, until we should take on our next, uh, our next series. I believe we've discussed doing Philippians, so be praying for us as we're preparing those messages. But your passage today is going to be on page 493 of your Pew Bible, and I would invite you to turn there and hear God's Word with me. Psalm 84, to the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's holy, living, inspired, and inerrant word. Praise be to God for it. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we come and we ask uh, that you would be with us as we seek to study your word now. Help us by the power of your spirit to understand uh, who you are, to understand more of the psalmist's desire and delight in you in this passage, that we might find ourselves refreshed uh, to endure uh, the, the valley of Baca as this psalmist did. Help us to remember the goodness of your house, Father, and we ask by your Spirit that you would come and equip us with that knowledge now by your Spirit's power. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, since moving to Mississippi, I've taken on many, uh, many recommendations of good books, uh, good local books. And one of the ones that's actually been recommended to me that I've been reading with my children is uh, we, The Wind in the Willows. It's a children's novel. Uh, Schaefer recommended it to me, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and there's a passage, uh, it was written by Kenneth Graham. Uh, it, it, there's a passage in that book. It's essentially a collection of stories uh, of a variety of animals that all instinctively have a deep connection to their home. It starts with a mole who leaves his house during spring cleaning one day and essentially finds his way to a river where the water rat lives. And they strike up a friendship and they have all sorts of adventures while they're there. 
while he's there. But there's another passage from it that I think touches on something deeply connected to our passage today. Uh, Mole and Rat are in a a mid-December walk home one night, and uh, Mole smells the scent of his old dwelling place, his old burrow in the ground. They're passing by, and he's so enraptured by the scent of his smell, of his old home, that he's, he's frozen. He can't stop, he, or he can't keep going. He has to stop. And he, he's overwhelmed with this scrumptious smell. Uh, Graham says, uh, you, you know, humans, we only have a word for, for the myriad of, of words that you would describe what Mole was experiencing. We only have the word smell. It does not help us understand the delicate thrills which murmur in the nose of an animal like Mole night and day, summoning, warning, inciting, and repelling him. It was one of these mysterious fairy calls of smell from out of the void that suddenly reached Mole in the darkness, making him tingle through and through with its very familiar appeal, even while he could not yet clearly remember what it was. He stopped dead in his tracks and searched hither and thither, Uh, with his nose in efforts to recapture the fine moment that had so strongly moved him. And what it was was the scent of home, the home that had been happy with him too. And what the smell was telling him evidently was that home was missing him and wanting him home that night. It grips him. He weeps with sorrow at the scent because Rat doesn't hear him stop. He doesn't hear his pleads, and he begs with Rat. He says, come, explore my home with me. But he has to pass it by for a moment until they eventually, uh, Mole catches the the attention of Rat. They stop, they go home, and they have this wonderful adventure on this mid-December night. But it all starts with this blessed scent of home and all of its familiarity that grips Mole by the nose and just kind of pulls him along. That's something of what this psalm is for us, friends. It's the scent of our home. It's, it's calling to us from its pages. And if we'll listen to it this morning, we will learn where the source of all of our desires as God's people will be satisfied in His very presence, in the place where He dwells. You know, there are times where this aching longing of homesickness as a Christian comes out in our lives. And that's what Mole's experiencing And that homesick desire for heaven is what uh, our ultimate heavenly home is telling us. Our loving king wants us there. He wants us to delight in his presence. And he will not rest until we come and find our rest in him. And if we'll listen to this passage today, we're going to learn that this passage is going to tell us is that that homesick delight in our destination that has to shape our, our lives as Christians. It's that homesick delight in our heavenly destination that has to shape our journey as Christians. The psalm outlines three blessings of that homesickness, okay? And they're going to come to us in our three points. The blessing of homesick delight, the blessing of highway renewal, and the blessing of hopeful trust. And if you'll listen to this psalm, My hope is that we will rediscover the joy that we're meant to have, not just in the church as the place where God dwells, but in God himself. 
where all the joys of our, our, our worship together as God's people will fade away and we'll be left with simple satisfaction in the person of our triune and beautiful God because that's the vision that he paints here. And so let's look at that first blessing. Those blessings sort of fall out with the word blessed that's, that's articulated throughout the, the psalm. And in the first four verses, the first blessing comes to those who dwell in God's house, he says, who are ever singing your praise. A psalm was written by the sons of Korah. They were people who were gatekeepers in the house of God. And they, they stood at the temple dwellings. And you may know the, the word Korah from the guys who were uh, in the wilderness journey. Uh, Korah and Abiram and a couple others read, led a rebellion against God's leaders, uh, Moses and Aaron. And they were swallowed up whole. This is not that Korah. This is their sons, their, the people of their tribe. They weren't totally consumed. But they uh, were preserved by God. And they had a group that were given a responsibility for being gatekeepers in the house of God. And it falls for us in the, the, the midpoint almost of book three of the Psalms. And if you go home and you read the, the, the 17 or so Psalms in book three, several of them come from uh, the sons of Korah. And so the book three of the Psalms is essentially a, a book that deals with the fact that God's people are prevented from being in God's place because they were devastated through the destruction of, of judgment as they were carried away into exile. And so this is a homesick psalm that the psalmist, whoever edited these psalms, he placed here in book three to remind God's people of the testimony of the goodness of being in God's house when, when they couldn't actually be there because the house was destroyed and they sat in exile. And, and the hope is that the, the, whoever structured these psalms, what he's doing is he's helping them learn to long for home even when they're not there. And he calls it blessed because he's full of homesick delight. The psalm opens with a statement of how lovely was the place where God dwelled. It's lovely. It's so much so lovely that the psalmist is overcome with yearning. The word in the Hebrew means he's got an inconsolable ache. It feels as if his soul is coming apart and he's going to have an end of himself. That's how much he loves to be in the place where God dwells and how lovely he sees it. So much so that he faints at the thought of not being there. He's almost coming to an end to himself is what the word in the Hebrew says. And it's, because, it's not because of the temple, the place that was beautiful. It's because it's the place where the Lord of hosts dwelt. For the temple and God's people, in the history of God's people, the temple always represented the fact that their heavenly king, God himself, had made his dwelling place, even though he was high and holy in the heavens, he made his dwelling place on earth with his people, a place where his name would dwell so that they could worship him and have a relationship with him and enjoy his presence forever. But the people are far away from God's house at this point in the history of God's people. And he's missing the courts of God because his heart and flesh sing for joy in God. He recognizes that it's not the temple with all of its rituals that I miss. It's the beautiful one who dwells there that I miss. He calls him Lord, the, the covenant name of God, the deliverer of his people in the Exodus. 
He calls him the Lord of hosts. It's a name that's frequently used with God in the Old Testament. It's referring to the fact that he rules heaven and earth for the sake of fulfilling his promises that he's made to his people. Stars of heaven are the ones that he leads out, the story hosts. But he's also the God of angel armies. That's where this God dwells. And he wants to be there. And it's not just that it's lovely for the one who dwells dwells there. He says in verse 3 that even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. The altar in terms of the court of the temple, there was this big courtyard in the very center of the the sort of layout of the court of the temple sat an altar. Blood was constantly flowing at the altar. It was where sacrifices were made. Sacrifices to enjoy the presence of God with, to to restore the presence of God to his people with when they had sinned against him, and to actually uh, represent the fact that God was atoning for his people's sin. It was a place of violence to the animals that were sacrificed there. And yet the psalmist says that That God's temple, as he remembers the dwelling where God was, and he looks up uh, what one commentator said in the eaves, like in the eaves of our roof here, the beautiful displayed wood, it would be like seeing birds in the roof work. Because even at the place of sacrifice, it's safe there because God is the God who dwells with his people by making sacrifice so that they can stay there. And even swallows and sparrows find a place for their young there. Think about it. Like, when was the last time you sat and watched a bird? You know, at our home in Columbia, South Carolina, where we came from, uh, we had these French doors that opened up to a back deck, and we had a window overlooking our backyard, and we had a bird feeder towards the end of our time there. And one of my favorite things to do early in the mornings before children got up was to, to sit and just watch any number of beautiful cardinals or blue jays, like many of the birds that we have down here in South Mississippi, just come and, and you know, like do their like weird head thing and like look in the window and just simply try to see if it was safe so they could grab a snack and find a rest for a while. The psalmist is calling forth the imagery of these birds because he says the very place where God dwells is a place of safety. You know, if you look at a bird in the eye, that's something predators do, so that's why they usually flit away and freeze when they see you in the eye. But these birds, they find rest and safety at the place where God sacrifices Because that's who this God is. Even though he's the high and holy Lord of heaven, he dwells with his people as a safe haven and provides a place where they can come to him. And that is what is filling the psalmist with this inconsolable ache, this homesick delight in the very courts of God. Sparrows in Scripture are are a common image for what is weak and worthless. A swallow is a common image for the restless or lonely. And he's saying, I love your courts, O Lord, because even the lonely and restless find a safe haven there. The God of heaven and earth who could annihilate you with the fact of what his holy presence requires is a safe place for the people 
with whom he dwells. He's a safe place where even the vulnerable young can dwell. This is such an attractive place to the psalmist. In verse 4, he says, blessed are those. He's, he's jealous of those who get to stay in the temple and worship God. Because he sees the blessing of who God is. They can forever delight in who he is. And nothing can keep them from that, uh, that interrupted fellowship with God that he knows because they're in the place where he dwells and he calls them blessed. That's a common word throughout the Psalms. If you go home today and read Psalm 1 and 2, uh, it's a psalm uh, introduction that essentially deals with what blessing is about. Blessing is the opposite of perishing. Perishing means to come to nothing, but blessing is like an image of a well-watered tree that's planted by streams of water and can endure any circumstance because of its abundant resources, and it bears fruit even in old age. Blessed is thus to have well-being in every area of life, said one commentator. And the psalmist, even when he's not able to be there, he knows that this God is the source of his blessing, and he longs to be in the intimate presence of that God. You know, it's kind of interesting if you think about it, though, because if you were a worshiper of Israel singing this and the collected hymns of God's people, which is what the Psalms were, to think about the temple might actually have been a really painful thing for them. Because to think about the temple, even if it was the place where God dwelt, the temple was gone. God had to reestablish and build it at one point. And the fact that it wasn't there or wasn't according to its former glory, was something that God himself uh, had said was a form of judgment on the people so that even as they thought about the temple from their faraway place, if you were an exile remembering the psalm or even if you were after exile returning to worship at the second temple, it might have been filled with a little bit of bitterness. Even though you know God himself is the safe haven who dwells with his people. And I'll be honest, friends, as, as I've tried to make sense over the last few months of what our church has been through, it seems as if the spiritual things of this world have themselves become very difficult for me personally as a pastor, if I can open my heart to you, to engage with. Where as if the very memory of God's work and presence in my life is something that's very hard to think through because of the difficult, strange relationships that we've all walked through, the difficulty that we've all seen and known. And yet, friends, what helps this psalmist is not the place and how up to snuff it is. What helps this psalmist is not the rituals and how much they help him because he can't participate in them. Even when the psalmist is far away, what helps him is to know that the Lord himself is the safe haven of his people who dwells with them. And this blessing is not just for those who dwell with him. It's for those who are even on the highway journeying to him. Because this psalm tells us the second blessing is the blessing of highway renewal. That's what God is telling us in, in verses 6 through uh, eight or four, five through eight, excuse me. 
He goes on to say, blessed is the one whose strength is in you and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Even when they're far away, pilgrims of God's household are still blessed. They still know the same strength that helps them to endure. They still know the same hope that helps them to not feel weak. They still know the same purposes of God in their lives. Because there's a blessing that this God gives to those who know Him. And it's the blessing that even as you journey to the place of rest, even if you sojourn through the wilderness to get there, He's going to use the land of your sojournings to actually renew you. He's going to use the place where you're a pilgrim to actually make you better. He's going to use the difficulty that you face because of the blessing of who He is. And it's a blessing of highway renewal because not even the distance from Zion can keep these people from taking joy in who God is. Not even the fact that He's far removed from Zion or that Zion represents something of bitterness to Him can keep Him from knowing God's blessing. Because this Lord is the Lord who even walks through the valley of Baca. And as they walk through that valley, it becomes a place of springs with pools. The word for Baca, they aren't sure if this is a geographic region that they're referring to, but it sounds like a dry and arid place. Like the word in Hebrew sounds like the word for a tree that grows in a desert valley. And uh, in the Valley of Baca, uh, even in the, dry, in the Valley of Dryness is the image that's presented here. The low place that's the desert. Those who have learned the blessing of this God's presence are watered. They're watered. And they're, they're so watered, they're saturated so that they become pools where springs of life flow up like, uh, like, like uh, what's, what's the word in the, the, the desert? The uh, oasis in the desert. Even though they're through the valley of dryness or the word for bakah in Hebrew sounds like the word they use for weeping. Even in the valley of weeping, this God is with his people. Because their hearts are transfixed on Zion, not because of the rituals there or the closeness and proximity there, but the person who dwells there has made inroads in their heart to to make it feel like home wherever they go because he is actually with them in the valley of their weeping. They make it a place where life begins to flow from these people so that even as they walk through the shadow of this valley, though the tree line might have overshadowed the horizon, the psalmist is saying the shadow of the Almighty still follows them, which is kind of an image from the wilderness wanderings in Exodus. A pillar of cloud by day that always followed them wherever they went. And a pillar of fire by night. Because this God is a wilderness God. And even in the valley of weeping, 
they actually find themselves not being wearied by their journey as pilgrims. They go from strength to strength. And each one appears before God in Zion. Each one knows his place because of the God who dwells there. Each one knows that they will be established because of the God who dwells there. And you know, friends, homesickness like this, it feels like a liability, doesn't it? It feels like an incredible liability to be homesick for heaven. We've even got phrases in our Christian culture that says, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. And sort of the cynical thought that we have about this kind of homesickness is that it does you no good because you still have to walk through the valley. And what good is that? Well, the good is that... uh, the more you find yourself owning up to your homesick, heavenly need, is the more you find yourself in a place of strength in the Christian life. In our transition here, my family, I asked my kids if I could share this story. Uh, homesickness was something that actually struck hard in our family. Because we had known what was familiar for six or seven years, and we left to go to a place that, while lovely and beautiful, felt unfamiliar. And especially in the first months of our journey here over the last two years, my children would talk about how homesick they felt. Uh, At night, they would have all sorts of ways of trying to distract themselves at bedtime from homesickness, to the point that we kind of got a little fed up with homesickness ourselves. Uh, Because... Uh, They would be silly, they would wrestle, they would do anything but to feel the feeling of sorrow. And it was only when we owned up to the fact that there was a place called home that we were sick for, that we actually began to feel a sense of wholeness that allowed us gratitude for the place in which we found ourselves. Friends, longing for God, like this psalm, feels like a liability in a world where we could distract ourselves with any number of things that we're grasping out for. You can distract yourselves in the, the, uh, trying to find a distraction in your work with the sense of rest and completion that can only be found in the God who completes you and makes you right. You can try to find distraction or rest in your relationships. You can look for them to have acceptance and ease and well-being for you, which only the Lord can give. We try to find in our material comforts the rest of soul only God's presence can satisfy. We try to find in our friends a belonging that has the power to make us feel at ease with ourselves. But friends, there's only one source that can serve as the solution in this psalm. It's the Holy One who dwells in our midst. And He invites us to smell the scent of heaven in this psalm, to know that heaven wants us there, just like Mole's house wanted him home. And He summons us to His presence to find rest and blessing there. There's one final thought that's just supreme blessing to the psalmist as they go through is that they go from strength to strength and each one actually appears before God in Zion. 
Friends, this psalm tells us that we will make it home and that nothing can separate us from the final presence of our heavenly God. That's the testimony of God's saints throughout the ages, that even as they walk through the valley of weeping or most recently even in the life of our church with the passing of Miss Ann Cole, Miss Ralston, and and, uh, Miss Claire Mangum, Their testimony and this psalm's testimony is that they now appear before God in Zion. And the question becomes, how can you make it there? And the psalmist falls down and pleads with God himself, saying, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, because he knows he can't make it on his own. That this God who dwells in the high and holy places of the earth is the God who walks with you through the valley of weeping and who will strengthen your very limbs to take the step, step, step towards your heavenly home. But that's not the only two blessings. There's a third blessing that this psalm presents, and uh, it's the blessing of those who trust in you, that the Lord of hosts blesses those who trust in him. And in verses 10 to 12, the psalmist says some high and lofty things. He says, so great are the gifts that this God gives that it leads the psalmist to a comparison of days. He says, I would rather be in your house at the threshold than to dwell among the wicked places where the wicked dwell. Because their their existence is only a tent when your life and your salvation are a sure foundation for your people. And even if I'm only on the threshold of it, nothing can keep me from experiencing the delight of it because I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell there. It's kind of like this psalm uh, illustrates a sentiment that I often tell to couples who come into my office for engagement counseling. Uh, I tell engaged couples to lean into what they feel in engagement. You know, engagement is one of those wonderful times, but it's also a terrible time. It's a wonderful time because you have a date set on knowing who will be the person that you spend the rest of your life with. It's wonderful. But it's terrible because there's 40,000 details that you have to take care of to get there. And there's usually 50,000 miscommunications that happen in the process of making a wedding go off. So much so that the difficulty of making it there can actually make it kind of wearying as you go through. But that's actually something that all of Scripture points to. All of Scripture points to the fact that we are in a transitional phase of life, that God himself has saved us from the valley of our weeping and is bringing us home to glory. And in this time, in between the now and not yet, Our greatest source of comfort is found nowhere else than in Him. Nowhere else. He's the sun and the shield of our life. He is the very source of life. And He bestows favor and honor. The the NAS translates that. He bestows favor and glory. It's the idea that was associated with the, the thought of seeing God's face. God will help his people to fully and finally see their face as they transition through this temporary dwelling to their full forever home in his presence. 
And it makes you wonder, once again, how can you get there? Well, the psalmist himself, uh, the psalmist himself encourages our hope by his prayer in verse 9. And it seems like it actually doesn't fit. He says, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. And if you left Psalm, uh, verse 9 of the psalm out, it would kind of seamlessly go from verse 8 to 10, as commentators have pointed out, without really a hitch. God be our help, because a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Uh, or hear my prayer, because a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house. Why does he stop and pray that God would look on the face of his anointed? Because in the day that this was written, there was an understanding that that word in Hebrew, Messiah, is what we use to translate the idea of Messiah. It was an idea for looking to the king. And however the king went, the people went. But this was a day where they did not have a king, but were waiting expectantly for the hoped-for king who God would provide the king who would come and ransom them forever and secure their heavenly dwelling for good by the work of his ministry among his people. That king is Jesus, friends. And the anointed one was a phrase for Israel's king uh, that causes us to put our hope and point our hope towards Jesus because he did come as king of God's people. He was the one who loved the dwelling places of heaven on high and lowered himself to walk through the valley of weeping and to be cut off in it forever so that we would never be forsaken in it, friends. He was consumed by death that the wicked deserve, the ones who dwell in the tents. And his life was not fixed and lasting, but he was overcome for us and for our sin. But more than that now, he is the king who dwells with his people and in the lives of his people by his spirit. And his song that he sings in heaven as he sits at the right hand of the Father and inhabits the people of God as he says, Oh Lord, how lovely is your dwelling place. It's his song for you, church. That the Messiah, the anointed one of God, whom God hid his face from, that we might never have God's face hidden from us, is actually the one who inhabits our lives as we journey through this world. And friends, it's that one who invites us to sit at his feet, to listen and let the scent of home pull us back towards him, no matter the days of weeping in which we find ourselves, and to rest in the steadfast trust that because God will not forsake his Messiah, we will never be forsaken too. Friends, this tells us that when you lean into your homesick desire for heaven instead of distracting yourself in the cares of this world, that you will find yourself at rest even though you travel great distances. You'll find yourself strengthened even though you should be worn down. And you will find yourself home in the shadow of the Almighty, even if it means you have to pass through the valley of weeping. Friends, let us put our hope in this God 
And let us pray that he would help us to do so. Gracious Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to find our strength in you. And the anointed one, our high priest, would his work and ministry among us now by your spirit help us to recover something of the sweetness and awesomeness of your presence. Be with us in the life of our church as we learn again what it is to hope in our heavenly home. Be with us in our own individual lives as we walk through the valley of weeping with what feels like the vice of heavenly mindedness. And help us echo the testimony of this psalm that we actually go from place to place in strength because we will appear before you because in Christ we have never left your presence. Help us now to cling to him in Jesus' name. Amen.